listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. My name is Jim Laird. Today on the line, I have John Anderson, and John's really an interesting guy. We have a lot in common uh, as far as our background and, and childhood and, and how we managed a lot of our adversity in our youth um, with training. But John has been in a high-level elite performer in, in three different venues, uh, which is pretty pretty exceptional. They have a lot in common, these venues, but um, it's forced him to display some adaptability and some um, ability to deal with adversity that's that's beyond what most people will ever deal with. And uh, it's going to be interesting to have him on here. And I think anyone can learn from what John and I are, are going to talk about today. So, John, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, Jim? Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. First of all, the major question is, is who is John Anderson? <laughs> we'll start off That's easy. That's a great question. You know, I, I love to really go back to the start because what people see now and where the start began were very two very separate places. You know, I was actually, uh, you know, I, I can't say that I had a, you know, bad childhood in regards that I didn't have a loving family. I did. It's just, I just kind of was one of these kids that just, I had a, a, a self-esteem problem that was largely from being an overweight kid. And I just had this insatiable love for cookies and ice cream, you know, and I was always doing stuff like, you know, I would, you know, I, I would mow the neighbor's lawn to get a couple of bucks and ride my bike, you know, to the nearest convenience store, sit down and eat all the candy I could type thing. And that was where, I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood, you know, just, you know, kind of just to a certain extent, just, you know, living in the here and now as most kids do. And then pretty soon you realize that, you really kind of created a bad place for yourself. And um, through being an overweight kid and then getting into a position where I was an easy target for bullies, you know, I got picked on. And, you know, you just, you're, it's almost like you kind of get molded from the good and the bad early on in life. <clears throat> and so, uh, hands down, you know, as, as a fat little kid, um, you know, it's, it was a, a situation where, I just was like, I was, I knew that I had something inside me that, that was, that I wanted to do. And I knew that I had these dreams of doing big things, but I was looking for, I was looking for the key in the bottom of the cookie jar, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, through a series of events, you know, I had a couple of, uh, you know, I had a couple of, you know, life potentially changing events to where I just finally realized that, you know, it's time to get to work. And, through basically as a, as a youngster, I started working. It was probably, I was probably in my uh, early teens, mid teens, and I started working. And basically, I just kind of learned to kind of outwork, um, you know, some of the stuff I was going through. And as time went forward, you know, I started to realize that, you know, that I, I was adapting to these, you know, these brutal workouts that, that I didn't even know they were brutal, really, because I was driven. And, much like earlier in life, I was driven for all the candy bars I could get my hands on. <laughs> now I was driven with something that was that was constructive, and um, you know I you know I got into high school and you know they had a, a pretty good for that time of of, of uh, you know it, chronologically going back that far. It was a great training program, great program in my high school weight room. You know, considering what we have today, a lot of high schools don't even have the type of programs that I had as a kid. Now, granted, not that it was anything spectacular, but it had enough structure that I really adhered to it and started to really find myself. And it turned out that I was far better at, at lifting weights than I was the sports that I was doing. And that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty common. And I, and I, I found that out in college too. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, then it was like, I, I think it was uh, my junior year of high school. <clears throat> I was the, I was the second kid in my class to squat 405 and that kind of like really lit the fire. You know, at that point I knew there was something there and it was just a matter of me, you know, 
basically, you know, buckling down and working hard. Now, looking back, I, there was a lot of a lot of the stuff I use in my professional career today. I look back and I see some of that stuff that I just didn't identify what it was, you know, <clears throat> like, you know, in today's times when someone goes through something that's stressful, there's two ways that, that you know, people are going to go. There's fight or flight, you know, and some people are going to fold like a chair and that, you know, that, that traumatic experience is going to be a headwind and other people go into fight mode and it becomes a tailwind. And, you know, of course, as a youngster, I, I had both sides of the fence, so it was clear. But then somewhere along the lines, I started to recognize that, you know, difficult situations created, a, you know, I could turn them into a tailwind. And that's when I really started to, you know, a lot of times when people, when it comes to, to success, you know, forget weight training, anything, something, that, something that's stressful or bad can derail them. And then a lot of times their success in the pathway of their success is, is really hindered. And when you learn to take that stressful situation and use it as a tailwind, then you really can make humongous strides forward and grow as an individual. And in the book that, that, I, that I worked on just not too long ago here, I refer to it as the chaos period, where basically you start off doing something and most people are going to start off a little bit of beginner success, call it. And then once that once that success and those those gains or that forward progress is not so easy, bam, that's where you get slammed into what we call I call the chaos period where a lot of people will quit. And but what you, you have to recognize is that when you're in that position, you know, you're willing to do things that you wouldn't have done, you know, prior to being in that hot spot, so to speak. And so when you learn to use the, you know, you can use the positive and the negative in your life for proper forward progress. And, you know, I think early on in life, even though I didn't have it kind of clearly laid out in my head of how it worked, I was already kind of on the nerve and using that to my advantage. You know, you, we all go through emotional distress and, you know, the first real emotional distress I went through turned out to be one of the biggest gaining periods of my training as a youngster, you know, as to where a lot of times you see people early in life, they run into emotional distress and it just shuts them down. They stop doing the things they like to do. They start doing a lot of things that are terrible for them and not constructive. <laughs> and that clearly is the headwind, you know, when you can take that stuff and turn it into a tailwind. Anyway, so basically moving forward, I've, I've kind of Without knowing it, I've kind of created a way for me to really make progress. And obviously, being a fat kid, I was really had an eating problem. You know, I mean, I would still, you know, even into my mid 20s, you might find me laying on a couch, you know, so full that I couldn't breathe, but I'd still be feeding myself little bits and pieces because I was, you know, much like any other addict, food addicts are just as hooked on food as a heroin addict is on heroin, you know. And uh, so the next part of my progression of getting out of the, the fat kid, although I will say you never really become a non-fat kid. I look in the mirror all the time and I still see them. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a three-sport three professional athlete and I still see the fat kid trying to climb through to my side of the mirror. <laughs> anyway, so then I, in terms of eating, that was kind of the next progression. I started to discover that feeding myself properly really made a difference not only in how I felt my outlook on life and of course when it came to getting big and strong it was a huge piece of the puzzle and so you know protein is something that I discovered you know a, you know a long time ago I started at the age of goodness 20 my early 20s I started eating four pounds of chicken every single day and that's when things really took off for me at that point I hadn't really come to the whole you know ditch carbs as a whole, but I was using protein as the primary source of, of my intake. And that's when things really changed for me. I got bigger, stronger, and I lost pretty much just took the rest of my, you know, the, the soft tissue, so to speak, the adipose tissue, which is a polite way of saying fat. <laughs> it took the fat off my ass, so to speak. <laughs> and, you know, now I've really had kind of developed into, I obviously my, at this point I had developed some major discipline you know, and I had learned to use good and bad for forward progress. And then I coupled it with learning how to eat. Now, granted, you know, as, as you know, Jim, diet 
and what we learn about how it works, it constantly evolves, you know. And back in those days, I was just basically sitting on the discovery of protein. And so I was just really, I was pounding down the protein and I was getting, like I said, I felt better because it's whole food. There's not a bunch of processed stuff when you're talking about eating meats. And uh, so then off I went, you know, and now I'm actually becoming, I have these tools that I was using, but I didn't really understand them nearly as well as I did a little bit later in life. So I basically went through college, got out of college and, and I had dreams of, you know, doing some great stuff, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, bodybuilding was a huge interest for me in those early years of training. <clears throat> and then I discovered that I was substantially stronger than I looked and I looked like I was big and strong. So that's where I started to really, you know, invest myself in strength. And then after college, I, you know, took a crack at my, at strongman. That went really well. You know, I, I went from being an unknown to getting my pro card to, you know, being a, a top American player and a spot on Team USA all in a very short period of time. And uh, I basically ran with that for, um, you know, goodness, seven years, almost eight years. And so now at this point, I'm still using these principles, but I haven't quite really outlined them yet to really understanding exactly. I just know they're working and I'm running with them. And I also know that in my business life, these principles are working just the same. You know, I, right after college, I basically started a painting company. I used to paint houses in, in summers in college. And I made a pretty good grip as a college kid. So I thought, shit, I'm going to, my, 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 my degree from college, I had a major in theology and minor in philosophy. So it wasn't like there was a lot of jobs sitting out there waiting for me with those degrees, nor did I want to go get a nine to five job. I had no interest in that. So I started a painting company and I applied myself to it like I did, you know, my training. And, you know, five years later, I built this thing up to 20 employees and sold it for just under half a million bucks. You know, so really what I'm getting at is that, yes, I discovered my methods of forward progress in the gym, but they were so transferable to every other thing that I wanted to apply myself to. And that's where I guess that's where the high poweredness really started to develop. I started to realize this is something that I, I can truly choose to do something and I can go get it. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful, but I can do it. And so basically my business life's going well, straw man's going well. And after about, uh, you know, the tail of the seventh year, beginning eighth year of strongman, I had to have a back surgery. It was time to move on because obviously lifting stuff like that, you know, they basically told me that I was going to be back for another surgery in 12, 12 months, 12 to 15 months if I continued doing what I was doing. So at the time, what I did is I had my agent at the time. He basically, I can tell, I'll be honest about this now, but I had to hide it when I was my second career was alive. <laughs> he fraudulated a resume about the fact that I had some, you know, credentials in wrestling. So he sent these, these resumes off to the Japanese wrestling companies and we got a call. And he, he basically called me and says, hey, you're all, you got your first mini tour. It means you're going over. I went to Japan for about a week, and I think I had three or four shows. And he goes, this is a deal. He goes, you messed this up. You're not going back. So the pressure's on. And keep in mind, I don't have much of any experience at all in the wrestling world. It was basically me just throwing myself into these high-level positions, knowing that when I get there, it's going to force me to grow because i got to find a way to swim in this very fast-moving current. Much like my strongman career, I went from an unknown to being on a spot on Team USA where I'm, my teammates have been competing for 10 years. I've been competing for 18 months. And you have no choice but to figure out how to keep your head above water. And the personal growth that comes from these situations is unbelievable. Then I started to realize that purposely putting myself in these positions was another key to the success that I was having. And along those lines, you can't be afraid of failure because failure is absolutely a part of success, as we both, you know, we both know clearly. And you, you hear quotes from some of the greatest people ever, business athletes, that they that we don't see the thousand failures that that lead up to the success that's on the news, you know. And so that, that principle became definitely something I, I, you know, of course it was scary, but here again, that fear became a tailwind for me. I never let fear or adversity become a headwind. I always made it a tailwind, which kept pushing me forward. 
So basically, I was in Japan, uh, you know, commuting back and forth. I'd be in Japan for two to three weeks, home for one or two weeks, and I did that for the next seven years, and that was a spectacular career. I mean, it was wonderful. You get treated like royalty over there. And uh, here again, the amount of growth that I went through in that period was phenomenal, just like in my strength career. Now the time comes where, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting older, so to speak. I'm in my early 40s and I get released. So, you know, I come home and I think, well, what's next on the agenda? Because I'm, I'm still pumping. I'm still feeling good. I want to, I love what I'm doing. I just need to find an, another venue to go into that's going to allow me to stay at a high level because that's what I really, really enjoy. And uh, so kind of like when I was a 15-year-old, you know, bodybuilding was a huge love. I just never really took a crack at it. I've been told I look like a bodybuilder for most of my career. What the hell? So here we go. Came home, did my first show, <laughs> won it, went to the national, which was my second show, won it. And now I'm a pro in just two contests. Uh, Dave Palumbo is kind of a, you might call him a historian of the bodybuilding world because he's so knowledgeable. I was on his podcast right after I won my pro card and he, he said that he thinks that I'm probably one, I, I'm one of two to three, maybe four people that have gotten their pro card in the second contest ever in their career. And so basically I went and did my pro debut. It was my third contest, which was pretty fun. And uh, ended up placing fifth there, which was pretty awesome to get on the podium for my third contest and dealing with the pros was amazing. And here again, boom, I am in some fast moving current all over again and I'm forced to grow. And so then, uh, you know, bodybuilding is one of those things where, you know, the, the more experience you have, the better you get at it. And so I had that nice little, that nice little peak of, of, uh, success. And right currently, as we speak, I'm in a, I'm in the bodybuilding chaos period because, you know, my first year, I never, in my rookie season, I never placed outside the top 10. My sophomore, my sophomore season, I didn't get in the top 10. And so this is, I'm in the full-blown chaos period, which I am growing at warp speed because it's either you grow or you fail. And you can take that failure as a headwind or a tailwind. I've said that a hundred times, and I'm telling you, if people can start to download the fact that you can use good and bad for your success, then life changes. And then obviously we get a little deeper into all this. It's, it's a puzzle. You know, you can't just, you know, as we've talked about in the past, you can't just take and put all your eggs in one basket and just train and expect that that's what's going to get you what you want. You have to basically know how to train yourself or what you're doing or have somebody help you. You have to have the nutrition that supports the training. And then thirdly, if you don't have the rest to bring it all together, you're not going anywhere. And so the, the biggest thing I think that people miss is that it's not one thing that gets you down the path of success. It's a puzzle that has to be fit together, fit together. And most importantly, it's an individualized puzzle. No puzzle is going to be the same for two people. And so uh, I guess in a nutshell, there's a, a long answer to a short question. <laughs> Well, that's great. And, and there's nothing better than doing an interview where you don't have to talk for like 20 minutes. That's awesome. <laughs> I think a couple things that you touched on and I think will help people no matter where you're at is that you used to manage your dysfunction with food. And I don't think people realize that most people are managing dysfunction with either food, alcohol, it could be a relationship, yeah. it could be a sport, it could be porn, it could be gambling. Uh, most yeah. people just don't have the self-awareness um, to understand that. And I think once you understand that you're using that as a drug to deal with self-esteem issues or whether it's you know anger you've got from your childhood, I think most people don't ever get to that point. So people just hearing that, you know, why can't I stop eating? Well... It might be because that's how you medicate yourself. And maybe mm -hmm. you need to find something else that's more positive, or maybe you need to deal with some of your past in your, in your psychology. I think another thing that, uh, that we need to talk about is, is goals and happiness. Like, you know, yes. I, I, people, 
happiness, you know, one thing I picked up from your book is happiness comes from within. And I've kind of figured this yes. out. What makes me happy? What makes you happy? What makes the, you know, the 65-year-old grandmother that comes in here that just wants to be able to play with her kids pain-free? There's no right answer to that. How, how does somebody get, you know, filter out all the crap that our society's telling us that you need to have a car and you need to have a big house and you need to have a huge bank account in order for <laughs> you to be happy. Like how does an individual figure out what they're, what, what they need to do to be happy? That, that is such a humongous topic. And I love it because, <clears throat> you know, what happens in it, and there's obviously there's plenty of, there's plenty of ways that people find themselves locked into a life that they don't like. But you, like you said, society kind of teaches us things that don't really. It's I think that society kind of dupes us because you know we're we're told to go to high school, you know, possibly go to college, you know, get a job, get married, and have kids, and then you do this. And a lot of times, what your you know what your your life's work is is something you do not enjoy. So, do you want to do something for eight hours, possibly more, every day that you don't enjoy? You know, the, the flip side of that is that <clears throat> most people get themselves locked into these lives. They're just loaded with responsibility. They realize they don't love what they do. But now they're, 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 you can't just stop doing what you're doing. You got kids to feed. You got house payment. You got car payments. And you can't just stop what you're doing and go reboot on something you enjoy. So <clears throat> I think that people get duped by society that success has to do with the numbers in their bank account. Rather than looking at success is, A, I do what I love every day. When I get out of bed, I'm looking forward to Monday through Friday. You know, like in, in my job and probably like yours too, we don't really think about starting and can't wait to get off work. You know, sometimes I'll work a lot longer than a standard eight-hour day because I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I don't want to stop. Some people can't wait for five o'clock because they can't stand what they're doing. That's a bad place to be. <laughs> so... If you can basically create stability and, of course, financial freedom is even better, doing what you love, that needs to be more of the, the site that people keep their eyes on in terms of success. Because, you know, you, the whole concept of trading your life away with something you don't like to put zeros in a bank account when, okay, so you spend your whole career of work doing something you don't enjoy by the time it's over, you don't even know how to do what you like anymore. You know, it's like you see it all the time. You get these people who have done extremely well in business, but they never really enjoy the ride. And they're so locked into the habitual patterns of saving money and doing, you know, going to work and doing what they're doing. They, they really didn't have a life that they look back on and think, God, that was awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And unfortunately, we kind of get programmed by society. You know, we get programmed by society. And a lot of things, you know, and one of the things that I think it's taken away from, you know, the young, the youth of this, of our current of society in our world today is you have a dream, run that thing down. You know, I tell my daughters, if, if you have a passion you love and you work your butt off for it, I will do the best I can to help you along until you can make, a, you know, you can support yourself with doing what you love because then they're going to have a life that they love, the life they enjoy versus having this life that they just can't wait for five o'clock every day. That's, that's no way to live, you know? And so I think if, if we could somehow push a button and get people in our world to understand that success is a combination. It's different for everybody, like you said, because the interest for every person is a little bit different. But if you can put food on the table and or create financial freedom for yourself and or your family with something you love, that is a whole different level of success. It's a level of success most people never even comprehend because they've never even gone, even tried to go down that path. Sure. You know, how, how does someone figure out who they are? Like there's so much clutter out there today. There's yeah. so many voices. Like, what, what are some of the ways that an individual <laughs> finds out who they are? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because <clears throat> if you walk up to somebody, let's say you're, you know, walking down the street and you strike up a conversation with a stranger and you say, you know, who are you? They're going to tell you what they do for work. 
but what they do for work most likely is not going to be what they really enjoy. <laughs> and so a lot of people don't know who they are. They just know what they do. So who are you and what you do are two very separate things for most people. Now, if you can actually, you know, if you understand who you are and, and what you love to do, and you can kind of bring those things a little closer, you're, is in terms of like your spirit and everything that, that really is on the inside of somebody, that is going to grow and flourish. And you're going to probably not only know who you are, but you're going to be more of who you are when you're working on it every day. <laughs> you know, so but on that level, it, it is, it's, I think in today's times, most people have a very difficult time finding out what it is they love because or, and, or actually, you know, who they truly are, because our society promotes them to go do something they don't really have a true passion or love for to support themselves. And so if you don't sit here and kind of test the waters and find out what your passions are, you're not even on the pathway to figure out who you are. You know, I'm going to I'm going to lead you a little bit because I was basically you said something in your book that I thought was genius. And I've kind of discovered this. You you suggested using meditation. Oh, absolutely. And and that's where I was trying to lead you. (laughs) So I'm just going to put it there. Yeah, Um, no, absolutely. You know, people need to get quiet so they can learn who they are. And I thought that that was a phenomenal insight in your book. Uh, And I was like, bingo, he gets it. You know, you need quiet time to figure out who you are so you can actually go where you want to go. Because most people don't sit quiet long enough because of phones and because of TV and because of distraction. They don't even know who the hell they are. Yeah. And that what we're talking about here is kind of in that preemptive stages of trying to find out your passions. Because how do you know what your passions are if you really don't if you really don't if you can't feel your spirit, your all of the parts of you that is not the surface. You're never really going to discover who you are, what you like to do, and you know what truly makes you happy. And you don't. You're never going to learn about yourself when you got a TV going on, when the text is going crazy, when you've got Facebook Messenger popping up, and we got we live in this world of unbelievable distraction, and we have to really kind of separate ourselves from that to really become one with ourselves. And, you know, there's the, the, you know, people look at me and they see this big, strong guy. And the first thing I'll tell them is the strongest part of me is right here. It's my head, my mind, because, you know, if, if your mind, your mind will lead, you know, your, the actual physicalities of your life. But if you don't have a true grip on, you know, who you are, what you're about, your passions, and you can't, slow things down enough to truly understand what's going on around you, which it, basically we're talking about meditation. It, you're, you're basically just kind of a sheep in line because you, you never really make your own decisions. You're programmed by society and you're kind of doing what you've been told you should do rather than understanding who you are, what you love and what you want to do, not what society tells you. One of the, one of the phrases I love and I tell this to everybody, I've been telling some of my, you know, some of my the teen athletes that that work in and work out of my facility. Now, granted, it has to be a fairly mature uh, teenager because I don't want this to be misconstrued. But an adult should never misconstrue this. is It's very simple. It's break the rules, not the laws. Society has rules. You don't have to follow them. the laws. You don't mess with those. You don't want to go to jail. <laughs> right. But when society says you've got to do A, B and C. It's your choice if you want to do A, B, and C. You don't have to do it. You might want to go CBA, then do CBA instead. Reverse the order. Maybe you don't even want to do A, B, and C. But how are you going to truly, truly get down to the brass tacks of, like we're talking about, who you are, what your passions are with all of this distraction we live in? It's unbelievable. You know, my... I have uh, two daughters still in the house, and I was kind of joking with you before. Sometimes we'll be in the car, and these two will be one in the front seat, one in the back, and they're texting each other rather than talking like normal human beings. <laughs> you know, here again, we're we're being kind of molded by you know what society says is okay. You know, and you know they're like you know when when I take you know my family away from you know society, you know up at, like we have a cabin in Tahoe, and for years, there was no cell service up there. It was beautiful. 
Now when we go up there, as soon as we pull in, I say, give me your phones. <laughs> because you can't enjoy the smell of nature. You can't enjoy the people you're with, your family, your friends. You can't enjoy the smell of Lake Tahoe. You can't enjoy all of these things when you're constant, when your brain's being pulled a thousand different directions. And unfortunately, we live in this world where there's so much distraction, our lives are spread way too thin, and we the understanding of, of what we're doing is almost non-existent. We're just following the person in front of us. And that's I think that's the probably one of the worst things that people can do in life is basically just, you know, follow the leader, you know? Don't be afraid to take your own first step and don't be afraid of that failure because failure is a part of success, you know? Uh, so one of the biggest mistakes I see people make uh, in regards to performance and health is the lack of self-care. Um, and you, 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 you spend most of your book talking about how self-care is a priority. So how, how do you, how does that work for you? Um, cause you drive your car obviously harder than most normal people will ever drive their car in their life. So how, what does that look like for you as far as what you do to keep yourself healthy so that you can push your body as hard as you can? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And you know, there's, there, you know, there's there's so many levels to it. Obviously, we we briefly touched on it in the beginning that you know when you're, you know, whatever you're doing with the training or work, when you're pushing yourself, you have to match the other elements, you know, the nutrition part, the rest part to match what it, you know, how hard you're pushing yourself. You know, you can't have, you can't have like going back to the car example, you can't have a motor in your car that's a thousand horsepower with little bitty tires on the back because it's imbalanced and it won't perform the way it's intended to. And the same thing with, with us, you know, and if we're not only talking on a physical level, this is, you know, we, a minute ago I talked about how the strongest muscle in, in the body is the brain. And, you know, when we rest, of course, we think of physical rest, but I think the biggest piece of that puzzle and the, the, the recovery part with rest that people miss is that, the brain needs to downtime too. The brain needs to heal. The brain needs to reboot. The brain needs to be wake up and be charged and ready to lead the body on whatever journey it's about to head in for the day. You know, and I think that there's a, I think there's kind of a, so when you got a person who, you know, it's, it's almost like a chain reaction, you know, <clears throat> when you get up every day and you love what you're doing, you know, you, it's so much easier to look into the things that you, that you need to do to make what you love doing even better versus when people do stuff they don't like to do, they kind of just get burned out and they stop worrying about the, the things that they need to do because they're so bummed out the fact that they don't want to do what they're doing. And then it's this chain reaction of, you know, working too hard, not eating enough, not sleeping enough. And they just become this, you know, it's like the, the level of, of higher consciousness does not exist. They are literally sleepwalking and every day that goes by where they don't treat themselves the way they should and keep themselves balanced and take care of themselves, they get, it's, it literally, it's a hole that they dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And pretty soon they're so deep, they don't even know how to get out. They don't even know which direction's up, <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, I am constantly, you know, like, you know, my different careers, even different phases in one of my careers you know, there might be periods where I have to implement a nap in the middle of the day because I'm not getting the rest that I need at night. And, you know, there's a multitude of reasons for that. Who knows? You know, maybe you're just extra busy in the morning and, you know, you, you're not getting the extra sleep you need. Um, I'm constantly, you know, evolving my diet. You know, like I think in the last couple of years, I, it's, it's unbelievable what a difference keeping adequate essential fats in your diet will do. It's absolutely amazing. People look, people look at food as, as a pleasure when food needs to be a, for, a, for function, you know? Not to say that you can't go out and enjoy a, you know, a nice meal with your, with your husband or wife or girlfriend or kids, great. But you don't, don't look at food as like, it's not, well, I don't want to eat that. Well, it's not about, you know, it's, not about what you want, it's about what you need. You know, I tell my kids all the time, I love to make these little sayings that hopefully will kind of ring in their minds, you know, and even I use them on myself too, is, you know, if, here's the, here's the saying, is if you do what you want, 
you're only going to get what you need. If you do what you need, you're going to get everything you want. Yeah. And most people live their lives doing what they want. And then basically they're, they're kind of, you know, enough time goes by and they are just literally surviving, you know, versus when you do what you need. Yes, sometimes you don't want to do it, but you get in that pathway of life and now you live, a, you are thriving in life. You're loving life. And the things that you, you know, once needed to do are not that big of a deal. And you realize the quality that it provides your life and you'd never go back. But most people here, again, I think society kind of breeds us into this position of, oh, I don't like vegetables. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like to drink. Well, who cares what you like? What do you need? Yeah. You know, I think people what do you will need be much- to be happy. What do you need to be successful? All that stuff. With, with food is concerned, I think people will be much better off looking at food as a drug. Okay, I'm going to eat this substance. This is the pharmacological or hormonal consequences of eating this substance on my body. It's going to secrete X, Y, or Z. It's going to build this. It's going to up this. It's going to lower that. that. If people started thinking about food as a drug, I think they'd start making better decisions. You know, I eat this, you know, Sunday as opposed to eating salmon and broccoli. This is what the salmon and broccoli is going to do to me from a physiological standpoint. This is what the Sunday is going to do to me. And it doesn't mean you can't ever have a Sunday. And there are certain times where eating a Sunday is actually going to help you, you know, post-training or something like that as a, as a refeed or whatever. But people looked at food as a drug or as uh, an essential building block for the body instead of just something they do for pleasure. I think they would get a lot more out of it. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's in, and on that level for people that are stuck into only eating what they want, you know, changing that habit is like anything else is you, you have to basically create a standard for yourself and you have to hold yourself to that standard. And once you meet that standard, you can reassess, do I need to take another step or is this working? You know, and you know, it's, it's like, that's, you know, going back to society is that if we had, if we held or I shouldn't say we held, if we kind of showed our youth what they were capable of rather than telling them what they couldn't do, we would have a whole different new breed of people coming through our society. But right now it's you can't do this, you can't do that, do what you want, not what you need. You know, <clears throat> like with, with my kids, I'm always, they're a little old now, but earlier in life, <clears throat> I was always creating ways to kind of, kind of uh, lead them into doing something you know, at a higher level than they even know they could, because I knew they could do it. And once they did it, that became their standard. And if people would do that to themselves, it would be a whole, I mean, the kid's never going to do that. They don't have the, they don't have the big picture. They don't have the wherewithal to understand to know what this is all about, you know, but like the, I've daughter is a sophomore in high school now. And I go back and I point out different situations. Like she's a straight A student. And how I got that in place was when she went into middle school <laughs> It was the, you know, they don't give grades at elementary school anymore, which is pretty crazy. But so again, in the middle school, uh, seventh, excuse me, sixth grade is the first year they're going to have real grades. So I basically said, look, you know, I basically for every A you get, I'm going to give you 40 bucks. For every B you get, you're going to get nothing. For every C you get, you're going to owe me 40 bucks. And of course she bid on it because she, all she could see was the game. And she basically went through the whole year with nothing but A's, not even like A minuses, like A's and A pluses. And boom, I set the standard for her. And when that when that first year was over, I said, okay, you did great. You earned yourself a lot of money. She bought herself a computer, which was great, you know. And here's the standard. You know you're a straight A student. Unfortunately, the payoff is gone. <laughs> but you're gonna move forward with a standard you know you can uphold. And I think as parents and as leaders in our society, we need to do more of that for people that are kind of don't understand their potential, you know? Well, and I think another thing we can do too, and this is kind of completely off topic, but, you know, as Rich Dad Poor Dad said, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, understanding the difference between an asset and a liability is something that we don't do a very good job teaching children. Yes, uh, you know, and and that too is at the root, the root of all this stuff. And if people understood that your your car isn't an asset unless you're driving Uber, or your house isn't an asset unless you're renting it out, and that all this crap that you buy is a liability, and that if you can get some assets, then you might not have to work so hard, and you might be able to get 
do some things that you actually enjoy. I think that's yes. something we do a horrible. I think every kid should have to play Monopoly um, <laughs> just to understand how how finance works because they don't learn yeah. in school. That's for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I I you mean it? It's 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 here again. I feel like society just kind of dupes most people. You know, they never think outside of what they've been programmed to do when that programming is optional. You know, here again, going back to my saying, you know, break the rules, not the laws. You don't break the laws. But yeah, you don't it, have to go into $100,000 of debt to get a psychology degree. Yes. You don't have exactly. to do that. There's plenty of other ways to be successful. Now, on that note, you've obviously been successful in real estate. You've been successful or not in, in, real, in, uh, in your business painting. And then I guess you went on to flip houses and, and things like yeah. that. You've been successful in three different professional careers. When do you know when it's time to move on or to move to another passion or like, how do you know when to stop? And, and, and I'm sure you've had some things that you failed at too, that you thought you were going to do really well at. When, oh, yes. How do you know when it's time to pack it in and try something else? Well, I would say, you know, early on in my life, I mean, I definitely have an entrepreneurial type spirit in me, which I love, you know, I love to, it's, I think that's kind of that thing where I'm not afraid to try. And once you, once you kind of look fear in the face and failure in the face and realize that, hey, you know what, this might work and it might not. But no matter what, at the end, when it's all over, I'm going to be better for it, even if it is, even if it is a failure. And early on in my, you know, as a, you know, like a, a long, you know, in that little period right after college, before I started that painting company, there was a few other little stabs that I took business-wise. It just flopped, you know. One of the reasons why I went to the painting was because I felt like it was something I had done before and I felt like I could, re I could replicate it with, uh, you know, with my own rules, so to speak, me being the owner. So it was a little bit of a safer move. And at that point, it was something that I needed to do, not something I wanted. I did not want to be a painting contractor by any regards. I had pure, I mean, a very, very clear picture of the fact that I was going to build this thing up and dump it off and try to move on to the next step of my life. <clears throat> but I think that I think that there's a one of the things that people don't do is, you know, they don't really look far enough ahead into what they're doing, you know, having big goals. I mean, like with goals, one of the things I say is that, you know, if someone doesn't know me and they hear what my goal is, they're going to look at me and think I'm nuts. And if they don't, my goal is not big enough, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and but on that level you know, there's, there's kind of a, there's a, there's like a, I know what the goal is, but I also know, you know, that there's going to be a certain point where I'm either going to reach that goal or I'm going to have done everything I can. And I'm going to spend too much time further. Sometimes that answer is made for you. And when that, that makes it real easy, you know, like when I went from, uh, you know, in my in my uh, my painting company, it was a clear, clear picture. I was going to start this thing, build it up. And as soon as I could make a grip of cash, I was out of there. And that's exactly what I did. So I was just following the plan uh, in real estate. You know, that was a different deal, because when the market turned over, that whole thing just didn't exist anymore. So <laughs> the, the opportunities were gone. So you're you obviously walked away from that in my strongman career. You know, I ended up, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a brutal, it's a brutal way to live in terms of the training, the competition, the whole deal, and it beats you up. And so you have to come to that point where you realize, okay, do I want to be the guy that just completely destroys the quality of my life, squeezing another year out of this career, or I'm going to cut bait and I'm going to go do something else with, with, you know, what I have. I've worked really hard to get where I am. There's a lot of other things I can do in my wrestling. I went off and wrestled <clears throat> that one. There was that, the exit strategy was given to me because once I told myself once I don't have a good contract, I'm out of there. I'm not going to be that guy that starts working my, I mean, my, my, my ladder going up was very quick, but I wasn't going to all of a sudden, you know, go back down to the bottom and try to hold, try to do the whole thing again. And once that, once I knew once the top was over, you know, I, I would surely write it down enough to know it was over. But once I knew it was over, I'm out of there. And that's what happened again. And so then in bodybuilding, you know, here again, now I'm in this position where I've kind of reset goals for myself. And what I'm trying to do with bodybuilding, I want to stay 
at a you know international open level until I'm 50, which is going to be another four and a half years. I'm 45. I'll be 46 in January. And if I can make it past that goal, I'll surely do it. But if I can make it to that goal, you know, I figure I feel like that's a pretty it's a it's a good stretch. It's a hard thing for me to do. And when I get there, I'll decide, okay, do I have it to keep going or am I going to move on to the to the next step? So I think that there's you know, it's there's not just one simple formula for for kind of answering that question. You have to this kind of has to do with knowing yourself. You know, you have to know. You know, that's one of the things in my book I talk about in the chapter, Know Thyself, is you got to understand, you know, obviously knowing who you are is a big part of that, but you got to know what your strengths, your weaknesses are, you know, don't get, you know, like I have to be, I'm a very tunnel vision person, but that tunnel vision can also cause me trouble if somehow I fall short of a goal and I end up wrecking my happiness, my health or anything around me because I can't break that tunnel vision loose is the tunnel vision is great to get you down the path, but you have to be willing to understand that, you know, everything evolves, everything changes. And you got to kind of look at things in the regards that you want to, you know, use your strengths to to get as far down the pipeline as you can of reaching your goals. But you can't let your weaknesses, you know, basically, you know, blind you to the situation when it's over, you know. And so... It's, I, I would say it's, it's kind of a, it's very individualized. I think that setting, you know, kind of a, a goal and an exit strategy is helpful because at least you have some bit of a roadmap of what you're planning to do. And I think another thing that people tend to not recognize is that if they were to take the pieces of the puzzle we've been talking about, keep their, their health and their happiness balanced, that they're going to get so much more out of their endeavors, you know? Um, you, you know, when you, like we're talking about when people work too hard and they don't support themselves with the rest and the nutrition, you you can almost guarantee you're not going to reach a big goal in anything because you need to be working at full capacity to reach a big goal. And sometimes even with all cylinders fired, you still don't reach the goal, but you don't, you don't wreck your life trying to, to reach a goal that you realize is not going to happen, you know? So I think, uh, here again, I, I wish I had a very clear, you know, ABC answer, but there's, you know, when it comes to stuff like this, everybody's so different and everybody's strengths and weaknesses are so different. And even when it comes to people getting themselves dialed in to be that high powered, you know, success as we've taught, as, as we've called it, you know, being involved in what you love and doing what you love and all that kind of stuff, that's very different for that person then for that person that's going to work and grinding away on something he doesn't like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The answer many times is it depends. And, and I know for me personally, you know, a lot of times you set a goal and you go towards that goal. And then once you get to the goal, you're like, sometimes you're like, this isn't really what I thought it would be. Yeah. You know, my gym is a prime example of this. Uh, you know, I had, you know, multiple coaches and I was running, running a gym and a float tank and, uh, you know, all these different, you know, people working out of my facility. And I found out that that ended up stressing me out. Like managing people is not one of my strengths, even though I had some great people trying to help me manage people. It's just not one of my things. So now I'm going down to downsizing and, 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 you know, cutting the size of my facility and so that I can get back to what I love, which is just coaching people. And then yeah. I have more time to do stuff like this, which I love doing interviews and talking about my experiences and learning from people like you. So, um, John, where can people find out more about you? What's the title of your book and where can they find that? So <clears throat> I say the, the hub to learn about John Anderson's my website, which is my name is spelled a little goofy. So <laughs> everybody's got to kind of pay It's John. I get the double whammy. John is J-O-N. And my last name is Anderson, but it's A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And then on top of it, there's a nice little hyphen between my names. So the, the website is john-anderson.com. And there you'll be able to see my three different careers. I've got a, a clothing line. I've got uh, this book that I just released called Feed the Cycle or Fuel the Cycle of Greatness. And this is something that, to be honest, that I really, really want 
I, I truly believe there's principles in here that, much like we talked about today, that if people would apply these principles to their life, they could literally choose their life rather than letting life choose them. And that's one of the, I mean, that's on the cover of the book because unfortunately, like we talked about, society programs us too early in life and life chooses us. We don't get to choose our lives. And I mean, I'm telling you and I are prime examples, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're not Donald Trump's of the world, meaning, you know, we're not a businessman who became president, but we enjoy our lives. We're happy and we love helping people and we've chose what we want to do in life. And that's a level of success that most people don't get to experience. And so this book, if you really break it down, this book is about, you know, it's obviously kind of shows how I did it. But there's principles in this book that are going to prompt people to take the steps to basically have a life that they want to live rather than a life that they're forced to live. Absolutely. I think you said that very well. And I would encourage you guys to go check out his book. I've read it and it's got principles in there that's going to apply to everyone, whether you're a hard charging athlete or if you're a 60 year old grandmother who, you know, just wants to to play with their, you know, play with your kids pain free. Like it, these principles apply to everyone's lives. And once you kind of read it and kind of be like, Oh, that makes sense. It'll kind of help you become just a better person. And, and that's really uh, what it comes down to because success is going to be different individually, but the way you become successful is pretty consistent as far as the principles are concerned. I thought John, you did a great job outlining that in your book. Thank you for being on today, and I appreciate that. I hope you have a, uh, a wonderful rest of the day, and I'm glad we got the time zone straightened out. <laughs> thank you, Jim. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And once again, thank you for turning, tuning into the Jim Laird Show on Body IOFM. And once again, support Kiefer and his endeavors so I can continue to do the show. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. been listening to the jim laird show with your host jim laird if you'd like to hear more log on to body.io don't miss the next episode of the jim laird show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful